So we covered this first verse, verse 17. This was kind of our theme last week for Resurrection Sunday. And we talked about what that looks like to be a, a new creation. We talked about the life that we now have in and through Jesus Christ and what a, a blessing that is to recognize that we have become new. Now, how does a person become new? By turning over a new leaf, by reforming themselves, rehabilitating themselves, saying, okay, I'm gonna say no to this. I'm gonna just really do my best now to, how does a person become new? If they are in Christ, thank you. That's the key right there. It's not a work that we do, it's the work that Jesus has done for us that we have appropriated to our lives when we come and say, I need to put myself in Christ and in what he has accomplished and done for me. One is in Christ by putting your faith and your trust in the finished work that Jesus has done for us. And we're gonna talk about that here in the remaining uh, verses of this chapter to look at more clearly what exactly Jesus has done for us. But we celebrated last week how he died on a cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. He rose again and he is interceding for us right now. Jesus is at work in the heavens. He is alive today. Every bit, as much as we celebrated his resurrection last Sunday, we continue to celebrate the fact that he is alive today. Amen? And he's at work and we can place our lives not in some religion, not in some historical figure. We get to place our lives in a living savior who is actively at work, saving, sanctifying us, making us new. Hallelujah for that. And the phrase in Christ, the phrase in Christ is used 77 times in the New Testament. In the writings of Paul, the phrase in him is found another 70 times in the New Testament. Here's some promises that we see for those who are in Christ, as, as uh, David Hawking spells out for us. This is just a few here. We find that there's redemption in Christ, Romans 3, 24. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans 8, 1. No separation, we read in Romans 8, 39. There's uh, sanctification for us, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. There's victory, praise the Lord, 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Liberty, we read in Galatians 2, 14. Those that are in Christ, there's a new unity, Galatians 3, 28. There's spiritual blessings for us, we read in Ephesians 1. We're seated in the heavenlies. We're created for good works, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 10. We know that as those who are in Christ, we have been brought near to the Lord, where we were once far off, we've been brought near Ephesians 2.13. There's encouragement for us. There's a resurrection. Not just a resurrection of the Savior, he's the first fruits of the resurrection, but we who are in Christ also are going to be resurrected one day. How good is that gonna be? Hallelujah. I tell you, we're all, I'm sure, looking forward to our resurrected bodies, right? Aren't you? Amen for that. Lastly, we know that those who are in Christ are saved. There's salvation available for us. So I'm so thankful that God makes us new creations and that all things have become new. All of us who are in Christ have been made new. Oh, we know that God's not done with us, but praise God, we're not what we once were. We are a room filled with testimonies of what Jesus has done by making us new. When we just look at what we were before we were in Christ, how we lived, our thoughts, our attitudes, the things that we did, to now we go, oh man, now that I'm in Christ, wow. 
He has truly made all things new. Oh, I'm not perfect, no doubt about that. Oh, I still struggle with that old nature that kind of gets dragged along sometimes, but praise the Lord, he has delivered me from that. I'm set free from that. I'm no longer in bondage because of that. I'm not what I once was, but I've been made new. Praise the Lord for that. So as a new creation, we also understand that, that there is that new nature now at work in our lives, that we're no longer to be ruled by the things of the flesh. That's the old nature, but we are to be governed by the spirit now. He's given us a new nature to work, that as we walk in the spirit, as we keep in step with the spirit, we begin to do those things that are of the spirit. Not because, again, it's something that we are trying to reform ourselves to, but because there's a new nature at work as we are in Christ and we see all things become new. The story is told of, of Augustine, who in his younger years indulged in great sins. After his conversion, he became a new person. One day he had to attend to some, uh, some business in his old haunts back in Rome. And as he walked along, a former companion saw him and began calling out, Augustine, Augustine. And he took one look at the poor disreputable woman whose company he had formerly enjoyed, and he shuddered and reminded himself of his new position in Christ. And so he quickly turned and he began to run, uh, run away from her. She called after him, said, Augustine, it is I, Augustine, it is I. And as he ran away, he turned back and said, but it is not I, it is not I. He knew the old Augustine is dead and he is now a new creation in Christ Jesus. There's a new nature that's to be driving us now and leading us on in this life that we have in Christ. And I pray that you know the blessings of what it means to be in Christ and to be a new creation. You know the expression, out with the old, in with the new? Well, a lot of people haven't applied that to their new life in Christ. To where they go, okay, well, great, I'm gonna take Jesus and just kind of apply him now to my life. No, it's not about just taking Jesus and applying him to your life. It's about saying, I'm laying my life down. I'm surrendering my life and I wanna place my life now in the new life that Jesus has for us. This new life is in Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's not a new life that Jesus gives us. The new life is Jesus. It's being in Christ. And so may we be those out with the old, in with the new putting on Christ. That's what, what Romans tells us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Put on this new life that he is for us. Now, again, I'm thankful what we read here in our, in our passage that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And we read there that, I like this, old things have passed away. Old things have passed away. It doesn't mean that old things have just been, you know, laid aside. It's that old things have been removed. They're, 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 there's no longer any hold that's to have against us, and there's no longer any weight or guilt that is to have against us. A lot of people can struggle oftentimes thinking that, well, okay, I'm, I'm in Christ, but how come this old nature still kind of rears its ugly head at times? And it does, and we understand that. But what we got to recognize here is that we don't have to hold on to the weight of that or the guilt of it. We read that old things have passed away. Whatever was a part of your old life is no longer now held against you. It's no longer held against you. That's what we read in Romans 8, 1. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, or sorry, there, sorry, that's the wrong verse. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those 
who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation. We're no longer having that old nature that's kind of weighing us down, that's, that's kind of this offense against us that we're trying to pay off. No, old things have passed away. It's put aside. It's no longer held against you. So as we discussed last week, we find that as we are in Christ, new creations, there's a newness of life. There's a newness of our position and standing. There's a newness of perspective that we have in living this life now, and there's newness of hope. All things have become new. I love that. All things have become new. And I pray that you are experiencing the blessedness of that newness of life. But look at what we see as we read on here in verse 18. It says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in, the, in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So think about this here. All things are of God. I want you to see that there. All things are of God. This work of making us new creations is not something we do for ourselves as we've been seeing. We can't do it ourselves. We don't come to the Lord and say, hey God, guess what? I've done it. I've become new. Here I am, I'm presenting myself to you. No, all things are of God. God's the one that does this work in us and through us. It's not putting on a new wardrobe and looking differently outwardly. A caterpillar cannot staple some wings to itself to become a butterfly and go, here I am, look at, I'm a beautiful butterfly now. No, there needs to be a metamorphosis, a complete change from the inside out. This is what God has done for us. All things are of God. We can't do that work of transformation and metamorphosis. God's the one that does that work in us and through us. And this is all the more amazing when we think of where we were. Notice it says that God has reconciled us to himself. He's reconciled us. That's a big word here. This implies that we were separated from him. Remember what we read or, or referenced in Ephesians 2.13, that we were once far off, but we've been brought near. We were separated from God. We were at enmity with God, the Bible tells us. We were in a bad place. We were far from God, separated from him because of our sin. The fact that we've become a new creation is all the more amazing when we consider where and what we were when God reconciled us. He didn't recon reconcile the lovable. He didn't reconcile the clean. He reconciled us when we were yet still in our sin, at, at war with God, separated from God because of our sin. And how did he rescue us? Through Jesus Christ, through Jesus coming in this world, becoming like us, putting on that, that humanity and, and taking our place. It's an amazing fundamental and theological truth we need to understand. Now, what does it mean to be reconciled? Well, Paul uses a neat word here. When we talk about reconciled, he uses the word katalasso in the Greek. And katalasso means simply to change it it actually comes from a term to exchange coins that's what that word that paul 
uses when he says reconciled or reconciliation, it was a term that was used to exchange coins. We're gonna exchange, you know, this item for that. We're gonna, you know, do that, that transaction in a sense. So it means to, to change something. Now, it's hard to discuss this great theme without apparent contradiction, Robertson says here. Let me read it to you. He says, God's love provide the means and the basis for man's reconciliation to God against whom he had sinned. It is all God's plan because of his love, but God's own sense of justice had to be satisfied. And so God gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. The point made by Paul here is that God needs no reconciliation, but is engaged in the great business of reconciling us to himself. This has to be done on God's terms and is made possible in and only through Christ. Make sure you understand this. God has reconciled us to himself. And we've circled it there. He's reconciled us to himself. It's repeated in verses 18 and 19. Reconciling the world to himself right there. That's what God did. He saw that we were separated far from him, apart from him, at enmity with God, and yet God decided to do something about that. Out of his great love for us, while we were far from him, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And through Jesus, God reconciled us to himself. It wasn't that God had to come and just make himself available to us. God reconciled us to himself. Colossians um, Colossians 1 verse 21 says, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, essentially, Jesus took all of our sin upon himself and exchanged it for his righteousness. Please get that picture. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, I'm gonna take all of the sin of the entire world, every past, present, future sin, I'm gonna pay the penalty for that which is death. But Jesus didn't just take our sin, he exchanged it, that term reconciliation, he exchanged it for his righteousness. That's how Paul's gonna end this passage. We'll get to that in a moment here. But you see, there was an amazing exchange that took place that brought about an effectual change in our lives. Keep in mind that this reconciliation removes that middle wall of separation that was between us and the Lord. We were enemies of God, but his reconciling us to himself now simply paves the way, does not bring justification. We need to repent of sin and we need to turn to him in faith and be justified and fully reconciled to the Father. It may be helpful to think of reconciliation as objectively provided by God in the past, but needing subjective appropriation by the unsaved in the present. God's done the work for us. Made all possible. The way is open. The door's open to come and receive, but we need to appropriate that to our lives now. Oh, because God has done that work of reconciliation doesn't mean that we're all forgiven and justified. No, we need to 
receive that. Repent of sin and turn to the Lord and receive that. Then we find that we're justified. We're made righteous in Christ. And then we experience the fullness of reconciliation with our Heavenly Father. And so for us who are in Christ and have been reconciled to God, guess what? We've now been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is so awesome. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What a privilege it is to be able to share with others this amazing work that God has provided for us through his son. To think that we actually get to enjoy fellowship and a relationship with God and minister that to others. Guys, that's an incredible blessing and gift that we have. To think of this being the, the greatest news that anybody could hear. Like, could you imagine walking up to somebody that, that had cancer and you've discovered a cure to cancer and this person perhaps is on their, their deathbed and you walk up and say, do you know something? I've got the cure for cancer. I mean, would you not be rushing to every person that you knew had cancer to save them from that if this was a cure that would help them? And yet we recognize that in this world and all around us, there are people that are dying and going to hell because they've not received this reconciling work of the Father. But now, the God, now God appoints us to say, you've got the good news, you've got the cure. You're the one now that I'm gonna use to go and share that with others and to conduct yourselves in that ministry of reconciliation. This is not something that is just for a pastoral team or a church staff. You don't have to go to Bible school to get credentialed, to be ministers of reconciliation. This is something that God has appointed you because you have been recipients of his great reconciliation. So may you be one that goes forth to say, Lord, use me. There's people that need to hear this good news. And what holds us back so often is fear, thinking, how are people gonna respond to me? Do you know if somebody was on their deathbed with cancer and you walked up with a cure, would you be going, uh, I don't know if I should really bother them with this. They may not really, they might get offended that I'm trying to help them. They might get mad at me. Would that, would that throw you off to think, I better just bypass that person. I don't know how they're gonna respond. You wouldn't care how they're gonna respond to you because you know that you've got something that can help them. You wouldn't be bothered. You wouldn't be worried about their reaction because you know you got the truth. And that's the way that we should be handling the gospel and this ministry of reconciliation, not worried about how people are gonna respond to you, not worried if people are gonna be offended. The reality is, is that people in their sin, apart from faith in Christ, are dying in their sin and, and facing an eternal doom in hell. Why would we not go and share with them that they can be reconciled to their creator and have everlasting life with him? Oh, may you be encouraged to go and share that truth with people because people need to hear it. Notice what else the Lord says here in this. The fact is that he's not only given us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and he wasn't imputing their trespasses to them. 
That's amazing. See, as ministers of reconciliation, we can tell people that their sins have been forgiven. The very thing that condemns them, their sin, their sin can be forgiven. Again, not in some universal salvation way, but we can share that the means for their forgiveness has been provided. We get to share with others that their sin doesn't need to be held to their account. That's what this word imputing means here for us. It means to keep a record. That's what that word impute means. It means to count. And so in other words, God says, oh, you've committed all this sin. Oh, there's a heavy, heavy slate against you. That record of sin is big, but I'm no longer going to count that against you because the provision has been made through the cross of Jesus Christ to wipe that slate clean. I'm not gonna impute that sin to your account. I'm gonna wipe the slate clean. I'm not gonna count it or keep a record of it any longer. He's not imputing their trespasses and sins against us. And that's the good news we get to tell people. Because so many people are sadly think, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. God, God can't accept me. Man, you don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know the past. There's no hope for me. Have you ever heard people say that? People like to use that as an excuse to think, yeah, this isn't for me. I can just bypass that because I'm a lost cause. Man, there is no amount of sin that God can't forgive. There's no weight of sin that God can't forgive. He's already told us that through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ, he's not going to count or hold that sin against you. And we need to share that with people. We need to tell people, you and your sin can be forgiven. The state wiped clean so that you can come and know eternal life and have peace with God. Now notice something here. We've seen, first of all, that he's given us the, the ministry of reconciliation, but then it says that he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. You see, what, what I find quite funny oftentimes is that uh, Christians can get in this mindset like, well, you know what? Uh, I just really want to live my life as a witness. You know, I don't really get into that whole sharing my faith business. I just want to live it out. And you know, there was a, 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 you know, a well-known quote that gets circled around. It says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And we used to think, hey, everything that we're doing, we're to be a witness. And I'm like, and yes, there's truth to that. But my friends, people need to hear the good news. If you're gonna tell them their sins can be forgiven, I don't know how to demonstrate that just by a witness. I don't know how to live my life to go, how do you explain your sins can be forgiven through the cross of Jesus Christ by just my witness? How do I, do I walk around going, You know, like, what, what does that look like? How do I live my life in this way that they begin to hear this good news? No, he's committed to us the, the word of reconciliation. Look at what we read in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
So he's committed to us now the word of reconciliation. You know, there, there's many people that think that God just wants to judge them, that he's a harsh God. They need to hear that God has already provided a reconciliation for them. He's already made the way possible, but now they need to receive that and appropriate that to their own lives. Through repentance of sin, recognizing their position and seeking to be reconciled, exchanging that position for newness of life in Christ. So then Paul goes on to say, now then, verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I love this title, ambassadors for Christ. Isn't that a good title? That's a pretty big deal for us here. It's, it's really quite an honor. Now, in this day, of course, Rome was the world power. This is the, the time that Paul is writing this, speaking in this. And, and Rome attempted to take over as much real estate as they could. Defeated cities would become provinces. And there were two kinds of provinces. There were senatorial provinces and there were imperial provinces. Senatorial provinces were pretty peaceful places. The people were just happy to be alive and they submitted to Rome's rule. But on the other hand, the imperial provinces were made up of people that were hostile to Rome. They could rebel at any time. Riverside would be a bit of an imperial province. So Rome sent, Rome, <laughs> Rome sent ambassadors to these provinces where they would keep the peace and apply Roman law. They were representatives of Rome and Rome's leader and would speak what they'd been told to speak. That's what an ambassador essentially does today now. They've been told to go and represent another country and to speak forth what they've been given to speak forth. They represent their country and leader in a foreign place. Here's some facts about ambassadors. An ambassador spends their lives on foreign soil. An ambassador is chosen to represent someone else. Ambassadors are protected. A nation provides its ambassadors with every need and stands ready to protect them. Ambassadors are held accountable. They must say what they're told to say. And ambassadors are called home before war is declared. God has yet to declare war on this world, but before he does, guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna call his ambassadors home. That's the rapture right there, my friends. We're all called to be ambassadors for Christ. And we see how fitting that is for the life of the believer. This is not our home. We're on foreign soil right now, my friends but we're on foreign soil on our father's business. We're to make him known. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We're to speak forth that word of reconciliation and God is pleading through us. He's, he's, he's working through us to, to draw people in that, that idea of, of pleading is, is that word um, parakletos of just seeking to draw people alongside him. Para to come alongside He's calling out through us for people to come and receive that salvation that he has made so ready for him. So we've been saved to show, redeemed to reveal and delivered so we can see others delivered. God is wanting to work through us to be his vessels by which he can call out to a world that has been separated from him and implore them to receive his reconciliation. Verse 21 wraps this all up for us. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we 
might become the righteousness of God in him. That's that whole idea of reconciliation. That's the great exchange right here. Jesus was never a sinner, but he became sin in the sense that he became the object of God's wrath and judgment for that sin. That was the extreme act of love because that's what we deserved. We deserve to have God's judgment poured out against us because of our sin and enmity with God. But Jesus became our substitute and Jesus paid our fine so that we would not just be forgiven, but so that we could be made righteous. That's an amazing exchange. There's no greater blessing and exchange that has ever happened than for Jesus to take all of our sin and give us all of his righteousness. Christ became what we are in order that we might become what he is. God treats Christ like he lived our life and he treats us now as if we lived his life. That's powerful, my friends. And I pray that every day you are living in just absolute praise and thanks to the one who's made it all possible, who made the greatest of sacrifices, who didn't just come as one of us thinking, uh, we can think oftentimes, oh, he's God. What, what big deal was that? I mean, Jesus, who had known fellowship with the Father from eternity past, left the glories of heaven, allowed himself to be separated from the Father and bear our sin. That was a significant sacrifice. It doesn't have any less value because he's the Son of God. It's a great cost that Jesus paid for us. So may we live these lives in complete surrender to him and be ministers of that reconciliation, living it out, speaking it out, sharing it with others, that others might know the life that they can have in Christ.